podcast. Hello and welcome to Emma's podcast. So today I have another guest, an interesting guest, because I'm going to have a lot. I am going to ask a ton of questions to this wonderful guest. So I will say who it is in a minute. But first, because that's a very long list of what he has done. That doesn't mean he's 200 years old. That's not true. <laughs> but he has done a lot of things. So he started as a senior roadside assistant trainer for AAA which is in California, by the way, the headquarter, then moved down to an e-commerce sales manager for Maximum Motorsport. That's interesting too. I want to know more about this one. Then became a small business owner um, as well. So doing a high-line automobile transport company, freelance transport. Uh, so that's something we're going to ask about that. Then moved on to do sales service consultant to auto trade. So it's still in the automotive world, as you can, there is a pattern here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And after that in, um, 2010, moved to uh, Script Network Inter uh, Interactive, uh, started as a content writer, very interesting, moved on to Digital Rent Retention Manager and Corporate Sales Retention Manager. Then continue his journey for regional account manager for Carfax. Here we go. We're back again into the automotive world. I love it. <laughs> and uh, became a director of digital media operation. GM of the Canna, oh, GM manager of the Cannabis. Ooh, now we're starting to talk. The Dan, the Denver <laughs> Post, that we want to know because he was a director of digital ad operation that he managed. So we're going to need to know a little bit more about that. Then in his journey, ooh, we're getting, we're switching from now automotive to the weed. Director of global media operation, a publisher of marijuana.com which is uh, with my full time, which was in, still in California, then became the director of business development, head of herbal business unit. I will say it's again related to cannabis, even if we talk about herbal business, Boveda Inc. Then vice president of marketing of Greenflower, then VP of marketing of business development at Green Bros. And again, it is, I'm assuming, into the herbal universe. We're going to call it this way. Then finally, to become the chief marketing officer for Grove Bags. So welcome, Lance Lambert, to the Universe, MS Universe podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing really, really good. Thank you. And um, yeah, we're going way back. <laughs> I know we went back and I, and I will testify because I see you before the the video uh, pop up on YouTube. We're going to hear, people are going to hear from the podcast directly. You're not 200 years old. So we're very happy no. about that. We would not want that. But, uh, you know, if you have the secret for longevity, I'm sure people would love to connect with you too. <laughs> but it, it was a very interesting, you have a very interesting journey because it seems like you had a, a passion for automotive. Am I right? Because it seems I, like you went with AAA and you like area automotive. So can you tell us more? Because it's like, how did you start it first of all at AAA? What attracted you to start at AAA? Well, it's interesting. I actually come from a uh, multi-generation family in automotive. So my grandfather raced okay. cars and, and owned gas stations. And then my 
father um, moved his way up the ranks from what we call blue collar, from, from working on vehicles to, um, to the white collar side, to the management side. And uh, he retired from General Motors doing their, uh, their auto transport here in California. So I was always around the automotive industry, you know, honestly, it was working with cars on the weekend and going to racetracks as opposed to uh, sitting around watching football, like a lot of uh, Americans love to do as a pastime. So automotive was always, uh, was always in my vein, so to speak. And so, so can I um, ask you, did you race? Did you do some uh, racing or did you just did, watch the car? No, I did autocross racing. And then I also did, um, believe it or not, a sport bike, a sport bike, a road racing is what they call it. So you, you did autocross. Okay. Do you know that existed here? I know in Europe it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's huge. And I remember yeah. I watched it too, because I, I used to watch, um, a series called, uh, Automoto, that was passing on that was uh on saturday so uh, the passion for the cars and autocross and everything like that but i didn't know i didn't realize let's put it this way yes i know i'm not from here people so don't say oh my god you don't know <laughs> no i don't because i did not grow up here so but i didn't know autocross was uh something here as well and i don't know how developed it was either so yeah. So, so you did a little bit of the racing but did you work on the car as well or it was i did just- i did yeah. So during high school, unlike, uh, you know, most children in the U.S., you know, they focus on school uh, while in school. But mm-hmm. for me, in high school, I always had a job. So I started out at a gas station and then worked at a body shop and then worked at a detail shop and a stereo shop. So I kind of did my rounds because of the intention uh, to get into the automotive industry, because my father had an apprenticeship set up for me through G- General Motors. Um, so that was a path I was supposed oh, to Oh, so you um, already said the path for you. Yes. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> all right. So I need to ask the question because when parents set the path for a child, but the child doesn't want to be or stay there, how does it go? How did you broke the news? I said, oh, sorry, yeah. daddy, I'm not going to follow your footsteps. <laughs> well, it wasn't the, you know, it was never pushed on. And I'm sure it wasn't for him, you know, with his father, but it was never really pushed on me. It's just something that was a natural passion. Uh, the the curveball that came about, so to speak, was when my mom, you know, approached me my last year in high school and said, well, why don't you try going to college, you know, first before taking on this apprenticeship? Oh. And I said, well, I want to get into automotive. So why would I go pay for school when I can do an apprenticeship and they can pay me to be educated? Um, and she said, well, give it a try. Just see. And um, so I I obviously didn't want to major in automotive because I didn't want to have to pay for it. Yep. So we had a discussion <laughs> you know, about what might be an, what might be an alternative. And uh, my stepfather at the time actually had said, you know, you work really well with people. Um, you like helping people you know, why don't you consider maybe law enforcement? And uh, so I studied criminal justice of, of all things in uh, college, which was quite, it was fascinating to me. I was always fascinated with, again, with helping people, but understanding the laws that yep. support the rights of individuals uh, mm-hmm. was a really unique approach. Uh, so it wasn't a bad path I went down, but to your point, you, you noticed it. Even when in college, uh, you know, I was working at a motorcycle shop and then I was working for AAA and mm-hmm. I, I kept falling back into what I knew because it was a natural yep. fit. And uh, so that's what took me in. AAA taught me a lot foundationally. And I'm not saying that, Good. that college didn't teach me. I mean, college taught me some like I love speech 1A and I, I, I love to okay. use hands on. So co- college can give you the skill sets, but it doesn't teach you anything because those skill sets are not applied to real life. So Correct. what you've got is a toolbox. They give you your little toolbox, which is a okay, your diploma, 
and they push mm-hmm. you or kick you out of the door and say, well, good luck with that. Yes. Yeah. So and the problem is, <laughs> exactly. So the problem is, is a lot of people get out of school, have an idea of how things should run, but the reality is so different. So for you, you had an advantage. Like I did when I was younger, we didn't have a choice. We had to go to work. Even if you didn't know only two, we are pushed to do that no matter what. Exactly. But at least you had that experience of working. You were not fresh out of, we call it out of the boat, but out of the bus saying, hey, I got my toolbox. I'm going to go to work. And you already yeah. had an experience with it. So that's to the, your advantage. Like yeah. kids right now who are, you know, working in grocery stores or anywhere else, they do work. They have an advantage because they go back to college, but they know what real life is, what exactly. working is. So exactly. it's not as a shock or like, oh, we're still having in a, we're in beta, sigma, whatever yeah. party. It's not. It's I, I, I don't, I never quite understood in, I guess I can't because I've never been in that position, but the, the friends that I knew, which was very few, I circled myself with friends with, um, similar outlooks towards life. But the people that I'd run into that had never had a job growing up, they didn't have a job through high school. They didn't have a job in college. (laughs) And I was like, okay, I understand that you have a scholarship or that you have parents that pay for your schooling, but I'm paying for my own. Like I I, I don't want to go into debt. That's one thing Uh I was very uh, certain I did not want to do. And to what you speak of is very valid because it was, it was tough for, uh, for me to retain my attention in college because it moves so slow. I just wanted yes. to you know, tell me what you're going to teach me, show me what yeah. you're going to teach me, and then let me mm-hmm. show you what you taught me. So yes. I always found myself more hands-on. So being in the real world, to your point, and, and mm-hmm. establishing those skills was really beneficial to keep my attention in college or else I'd just get bored. It really, it, college was boring <laughs> for me. I mean, I mean, <laughs> socially, I guess it was fun, but, but from, yeah. a, from a stimulation and from a learning curve, it was just too slow. It was just exactly. way too slow compared to the real world. Exactly. So. And that's what most people don't understand. The real world is different. And what you're going to be facing, it's not in your books. So what you got is your little toolbox and you're going to have to figure it out how to deal and manage to do both and adapt to it. And it's very hard for the younger generation to really grasp this. Or if they go, and I have experienced that because I even wrote blogs about etiquette and stuff like that, because I'm like, oh my God, this is not, we're yeah. not going to the nightclub right now. We, we're facing clients. So please, you know, don't do some of the things you're doing because you think we're in a frat house. We're not in a frat house. This is this is where we really work. The yeah. idea of um, home and work balance is a very, it's a balancing act. And the idea they have is not what's happening in real life because guess what? When you need to meet your deadline, it doesn't matter if it's 10 o'clock at night, your deadline is for the next day. Then you don't got to work until 2 o'clock in the morning to get, yeah. get it done. This is sorry. True. It's not like, oh, I'm done at five. Have a nice day. It's like, no, it doesn't happen this way. Or maybe yeah, you're lucky and you can, but most of us don't. So it's just I, having that conversation. To your point. A lot of people, I found yeah. myself not being much of a clock puncher, you know, or or a, or a check collector is a term yes. that I use. You know, yeah. I always found myself going above and beyond and applying, you know, as much of myself as I could and putting everything into whatever mm-hmm. my job was because you know one thing my dad taught me is you know you never know who's watching and you never know where the next opportunity will come from so you know whatever job you have it doesn't matter if it's pushing a broom or or if it's working in a nightclub or if it's working in a tow truck you know do the best job you can do and that's what will elevate you exactly definitely take that to heart absolutely and that's you know that's called etiquette it's like working hard 
And if you don't like what you're doing, then create your opportunity to move somewhere else. But don't (laughs) stop complaining, just move forward and switch. All right. That's, that's, I will say, if you're not happy where you are, and I'm serious, doesn't matter what kind of the economy, because I remember when I switched job, it was in 2014, uh, the time of the mini recession, everybody said, yes, I did. I found another job. Okay. I did not limit myself and say, oh, I cannot. I said, I can, I am. Yeah. It's basically I am. That's it. I'm not going to wait for the, everybody else's. Create your own opportunity. That's exactly it. And that's what I educate. You know, I'm a big fan of been in, in management <laughs> since my early 20s. Forever. So, you know, <laughs> I'm like, gosh, this is now I do. Feel, I know with the gray hair, I look older than I am, I swear. But, uh, but oh, getting you don't. at that young age, you know, I found that the the hardest thing to manage is people because it's so subjective, right? Compared to Uh, money or compared to programs or products or, you know, all those things have stipulations or boundaries or framework, but for people, they're very unique. I also find that they're the most rewarding. And one thing that I've always told the teams and the individuals I've managed is, you know, be sure to go into your LinkedIn once a quarter and and update your information, especially if we're putting you through programs or education and you're getting certifications, Google AdWords or whatever the case may be. And they looked at like, well, why would you want me to update? That makes me more employable. And that makes it, and I'm like, Yes, because that's what not it's only all about. are we trying to grow this business, we're trying to grow you as an individual. If you yes. grow out of the company or if the company grows out of you, that's no hard feelings. There's other opportunities, but at least you're ready for them. So I want you to be successful because if you're successful, the company- I'm successful too. That's mean yeah. I accomplished something because we outgrown our, our work because I'm reading yours. Mine is not better than yours because people will think she has a DD. No, I own grow, outgrown the work. So I moved yes. out because I knew it was time for me to fly away. They did not yeah, need me anymore. I could have stayed there forever in some companies and just get the check and I would be fine, but I would have been bored. That's exactly it. And I think that's-, and that's It's like the level yeah. of, you're going to a level, it's you moving it up. So every level you learn something and it's time to move on. You can stay where you are if you don't want to. It's up to you. No, that's that's but exactly for me, it. it's like for me, no, it's it's more like, okay, now let's see what's next. Yeah. The adventure just begin. That's the same way I've approached. I'm like, if you're not happy, and, and I tell employee, you know, if you know, this might not be the most ideal match, but with your skill set, there is a match out there. And I'm more than happy to exactly. endorse you and, and to support you in that move because you know, we want you to be as successful as you can be, but if this is not the right opportunity, then I'm sure there's one out there and, and you'll see, and, and we'll get into it, but later on in my career, uh, similar to what you're saying, I had come in and oftentimes what I found myself as an expert at was, was taking a company through exponential growth. So getting them from here to here. And once that's done to your point, I can stay, I can hang out and collect the check. You know, this is what I'm having fun, but I'm going to get bored. Yeah, but that's not, uh, that's not allowing me to continue to grow, nor do I think I'm bringing the, the level of attention and quality to that company that they need. They've got what they needed from me and I can move on to it to the next company, which is in, in this category in the cannabis space. That's exactly what has become more of my forte is bringing companies up, you know, more so international, larger brand, larger reach, larger audience, and then doing it with the next and doing it with the next. So you went uh, on front of me on this one because I, I'm still going to ask a question because I'm going to ask yeah. a question. So what happened to you? You are in the automotive world. Life was good. <laughs> Sounds bad, isn't it, people? But it's not. And all of a sudden, you switch to cannabis. Yeah. Well, oh, that it, happened. Yeah, there is. A, it's, a, it's an interesting segue. So the, I know. The automotive was an obvious one, right? The I know. Automotive. You know, I saw it since the beginning. At AAA, I'm like, yep, 
it's going to go straight for the cannabis because this is the right path. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was an odd, I've had interesting opportunities in my life and I have friends that say, you know, I don't want to say you're lucky, but the, you have unique luck is what they say. Like, you know, where, where that experience and opportunity meet up, but it has been interesting opportunities I've had. And I've had these opportunities that have segued me into other categories. So I, I did automotive and digital, uh, the whole dot-com movement of the late nineties, early two thousands, yep. especially living in California was, was yes. very loud. It was oh, very much a, Hey, this is the largest, the fastest you guys allowed that there's no tomorrow. Every time you do something, you're in the middle of nowhere. I will be in Appalachian, nowhere, no communication. I still will see you. California, you cannot miss it. Somehow you're that vocal. It's like, holy moly. It is a very vocal cool. state. And it was, yes. I was smart enough to know that the movement of dot-com and digital media was something that is larger than all of us. I mean, that was really an evolution that was occurring in our lifetime and, and mm -hmm. one only one that we might see in our lifetime. And so an opportunity did come about with, to your point, with autotrade.com. And I remember interviewing with the regional manager. Uh, they were in a, a hotel, I want to say is the Hyatt, right across from Universal Studios down here in LA. Awesome. And I go in and I share where I'm coming from. And, you know, and she goes, you know, I have to be honest, you know, we typically hire people that come from advertising to do, you know, yeah. so people that come from yeah. traditional or what they call legacy media. So yeah. newspaper, magazine, yeah. billboard, et cetera, because it's this new digital media and it's mm -hmm. going to be cars sell, sold through. We want to hit people. Yeah, exactly. And so I said, well, I understand. I said, but, you know, I, I'm third generation of an automotive family. I speak the language of the client. Like I understand how the automotive industry works. And she goes, well, uh, that's kind of risky. They went back and forth. They decided to take a chance on me. Uh, you know, they hadn't hired an automotive expert before. They'd only hired advertising exactly. experts. So, exactly. You yeah. want the you want the you want the expert. You yeah. can do your branding and messaging afterwards, but you want the expert because if you don't have the right branding and messaging, well, you it's a flop. So it's you very need true. The expert. It's very true. In the in the most successful salespeople I find, or it's worked for me in my career is if I know as much, if not more than the individuals that I'm servicing or that I'm helping. So for me to know exactly. how your business functions, you know, where your audience is, mm -hmm. who your audience is, mm -hmm. how you want to address your audience mm -hmm. and what you have to offer them, you know, it's very relevant. And so they hired me on and they gave me a territory, a pretty decent sized territory from essentially the middle of the valley uh, out here, uh, San Fernando Valley, all the way to Santa Barbara County, which is uh, three counties. And mm -hmm. After three or four months, they, they saw how much of an impact I was making that yeah. they gave me the whole next territory yeah. that was north of that all the way up to the Central Coast. So here I had the largest territory in the largest automotive market in the world. Mm -hmm. And here's some guy who came from automotive, who never did advertising, who didn't know mm -hmm. how to sell billboards or how to sell newspaper ads. Yeah. But they very much had that realization where they're like, oh, maybe it doesn't hurt to hire someone from the inside of exactly. the servicing. The you know? uh -oh moment right there. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you don't have the experts, the expert can talk to the people, can connect. And it's better to have the expert who you're going to have people surrounding the expert to help them yeah. to formulate and, you know, write it. The way it's attractive, but you got when you got the expert, man, it's a gold mine. See, really people is. listen what we're saying. Hired experts in their own field, and you will yeah. be successful. 
Very true. So, so, so that was a great, it was a great experience. Yeah. Well, I, I was doing, evidently was doing such a good job that uh, uh, individual was a manager at LA times who had gone to, to a Scripps property out here. Uh, he had approached me and he said, you know, do you mind if we meet for a cup of coffee? And I said, I drink tea, but yes, I'm more than welcome <laughs> to, to enjoy you, your company and, and see what you have to say. And he said, yeah. you know, I have to tell you, he said, I manage five reps uh, in, in this area. Like, all of them tell me that they keep running into you everywhere that, that you're, you're oh, this so. just you're all over the place and they don't understand how you can have such a large coverage of area when there's oh. five of them that are covering the same area and so long story short he said you know i'd really like to hire you on to manage our digital media at our company in the automotive space and it, it was it was a great opportunity the compensation was i have to say much better than than you know where i was and they really, they saw the value in me. So it was a, it was an easy sale, if you will, yes. uh, for, for them to bring me on because they knew what they were getting. They, they knew that I would just, I just was a hundred and ten percenter, just constantly giving it my all. Mm-hmm. So that was a transition from uh, automotive, you know, through this path into digital media, which I ended up in that space for about 10 years in, in digital media at some level, or that was, that was Scripps media, yeah. that was digital first media, that was uh, Carfax, that was auto trader. All those were uh, SaaS uh, or digital media programs, yeah. uh, you know, focused on automotive or mainstream media. So it was, well, yeah, a- you start with your expertise and you expand. So you're doing this, but still you have not told us how did you stumble or fell down and fell into, not fell down, but fell into the cannabis world because you're yeah. swimming in a lot of good things for automotive but yeah yeah what was, happened i'm gonna I say was, lens uh, what happened i was uh it was interesting <laughs> because my my digital media career had taken me to knoxville tennessee which is a beautiful little town it's yeah. a city but to yeah. me growing up yeah. in san francisco it was a town but um beautiful location uh in east tennessee in the southeast and I was with Carfax and uh, was doing good with them. And in the opportunity to advance would have required me to move to uh, Washington, D.C. area. Okay. And that was a little too far east for me. I knew that I didn't want to be that far away from family. So I was keeping my options open. And interesting enough, you know, you put it out in the universe and you never know what happens. Yep, I agree. One of my, um, my former SVPs, my senior vice president from Scripps. During my time at Carfax, she had gone to Digital First Media, which owns Denver Post, amongst other. They're the second largest publisher in, in the U.S. And she contacts me and she goes, you know, I just landed over here. This is what's going on. You know, a lot of what you did at Scripps, uh, I, I could see you putting in place over here. She said, nice. I, I really I could see a hero path for you, which is exactly yeah. what she said, which I loved. She yeah. like me, she she was one of those mentors that I really looked up to that I learned a lot from that I found that if you invest in people that if they're successful, you're successful. And if yes. you're both successful, I agree. Successful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she was the one that I, you know, enticed me to come over to Denver. It was an easy move for me because my, my parents met and married in Colorado. My grandparents met and married in Colorado. My brother was born in Colorado before we moved out West where I grew up. So I had some history there and it was closer to home. It was a two hour yes. flight versus a seven hour flight to the West coast. So it's it yep. kind of a no brainer. And it just so happened because I do recommend for people to plan out their future as much as possible. I'm not saying you have to get as wild as doing a, a dream wall or anything overly creative, but for Even me, when I'm vision board Knox, or yeah, vision board, yeah, or, or vision groceries board. list. I call it a groceries yeah. list too because I, well, it's called yeah. it on read. I do vision board with her, but I started with a groceries list, a simple groceries list. You don't have to do anything. Write down, I am input, whatever you add, whatever yep. 
you, you know, what your heart's desire, not your ego, what your heart, what resonates yeah. with you. Yeah, what will make it, you happy. Yeah, exactly. Stick yeah. it on the, I said, I use that on a bathroom uh, mirror and I did it in a kitchen actually. So the place See you every walk morning. the most, exactly. The place you walk the most, put it there and look at it and start yeah. to do that. Yes. Yeah. And that's, so for me, even before moving from Southern California to Tennessee, I said, you know, this is a three to five year plan. This is mm-hmm. going to take me to the corporate level. And, and that's being very career centric. I knew where it was going to take me career wise and then opportunity wise. And it was interesting because when she contacted me, it was four years to the month from when I'd moved to Tennessee. So the timing could not have been better. So going to Colorado, I I come in and they hired me as uh, the head of digital media operations. But then they also had this new website that was coming about because this is right when the state of Colorado, they were already a medical state but they were to be the first adult use or recreational cannabis market in in the country. Yeah. This was a very big deal. This was 2014. They passed Uh the law 2012 and then 2014. And that's right. When I came in and a good friend, Ricardo Baca, who he actually did years at Scripps as well. He was at one of our offices in Corpus Christi, Texas. Uh, He came up with this great idea to launch this website that was very much uh, news centric. It followed yep. Uh, yep. what we call, you know, the the journalist code of ethics. So it was yep. very much similar to what you would expect from mainstream news. Mm-hmm. And nothing against High Times or Dope Magazine or some of these others, but those were very much culture or um, you know culture craft centric news outlets yeah. in in the cannabis space. There wasn't a serious news like the good, the bad, the ugly. And so they're just getting ready to launch that. And so I was helping out on the back end while he was managing the front end. And then I just started continuing down that path. And then I decided it was time. The company at the time that I was working for, DFM, was owned by a hedge fund. And they just, I, I didn't support their ideologies towards business. I'll say that. I just, it's its a little too cutthroat. I, I yeah. like companies that have the culture and core value, but also have the heart in the right place for success, you know? So exactly. putting your customers first, I guess is yeah. the best way to put it. Yeah. And so when I left there, uh, you know, I had friends that, uh, you know, I'm a Gen Xer, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my forties. So I grew up with the D.A.R.E. program with Ronald Reagan's war on drugs uh, here in the States. So for a lot of my friends uh, in, in my demographic, it was still kind of taboo. There's a lot of stigma still associated well, with, yeah. with marijuana, yeah. right? With mm-hmm. cannabis or the devil's weed. So I had friends that said, oh, well, you know, it, it's okay that you're leaving, you know, you could always get a job back in digital media or in automotive. You automotive. You know, they yeah, are ready to embrace far. you. Yeah. You'll be forgiven yeah. for what you did. Exactly. Yeah, that was really it. And I was like, okay, first <laughs> off, I want to work for a company that's that's anti-cannabis in the first. I mean, if they don't understand how big this opportunity, this is this is going to eclipse the, the dot-com evolution. Oh, yes. Especially in the revenue standpoint, because there is so oh. much opportunity globally, mm-hmm. globally speaking, oh, it's yes. a million dollar industry. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was kind of taken aback because I, I did a pretty quick exit from there. And within 24 hours, I had uh, one of my contacts, I had a partnership relationship with Weed Maps, which is the, the largest tech company in the, I mean, millions a month, very successful, largest tech company in the cannabis industry. He had reached out and said, hey, we'd like to fly you out and talk to you about an opportunity. And at the same time, I had the um, COO of High Times, which is a historically recognized brand in the industry, reach out to me. And then Andy Williams from Medicine Man, uh, who w- was a large company out of Colorado, reached out. And I'm like, I don't think this 
this you know industry or community for that matter wants me to leave i can pretty much obviously not they're all calling you there's something yeah. here <laughs> i mean i was extremely they're flying you humbled. out too i'm like not yeah I mean, I, I was only, I was yeah. only really in that space for, in, in my opinion, it was a short, you know, after spending six years at Scripps and almost five years at AAA, you know, at that time I had these long stints at these companies, uh, very successful, you know, I, I moved up along the way, but it was relatively a shorter, it was just a few years that I was in this space. So I was really surprised yeah. that there was that level of appreciation, uh, you know, for, for me to be a part of that community. So I continued on. I answered the call and you know, it's, it worked out. So that's how I segued into cannabis. And I, I grew up in Northern California. I, I grew up around the hippies and, you know, alternative lifestyle was the norm and cannabis was the norm and, and wild different types of music. I mean, there's so much that we saw in San Francisco uh, in the Bay Area growing up um, that there wasn't so much a stigma that I had associated with the plant. I had a respect for the plant, just like I appreciate ginger or turmeric or, or any well, other that's, that Mother Nature you know, gives us. You know? There is a full education that needs to be done about the plant because there is a holistic side and we don't talk about. And I admit it on my podcast several times, it's recorded, that yeah. uh, when you were talking, when I, you know, he's talking about dispensary, uh, marijuana, first thing we think of, and I'm one of them too, said, yeah, butthead, getting high. Yeah. When you study and look at really what that plant is, it's more than, it's only like not even 5% or 10% of what that plant does. That plant does healing. Oh my gosh, it, does it has. More than that. But somehow so. over the rainbow, nobody's giving that information, which is very frustrating. Yeah, here. it is. Because it's they, want to, it's, they, yeah. they want to keep it as in the list, the prohibited list here in the U.S. because it's been removed from the U.N. list. Yeah. It's not on the prohibited list anymore, but the U.S. is still keeping it. And I think, the and I'm sorry, I'm going to, maybe nobody from the pharma world is going to want to talk to me at all, but that's fine. I can live without that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I know the pharmaceutical companies and stuff like that will do everything in DC to block this to be removed because if it's yeah. the case, then my God, that plant can heal, uh, uh, help with Alzheimer, cancer, um, Parkinson disease. Yeah, PTSD, grandma that, seizures. Which means seizures. all of their chemicals and things got to go down the drain, meaning they cannot make more money. Their billion dollar company will go down. So that's yeah, the problem too. There is that plant can heal. Yeah, filter the soil, bring more, um, fix the oz uh, ozone um, hole we have uh, as well. So there is a lot of, that hill can heal the planet. And it really can. That's that's yes. how a lot of people, I don't think that's an over-exaggerated, just no, it's like not. You know, my, it's my trip to Australia years ago, they, they were chanting free the plant when I was at a protestable. And at first I was like, oh, that's kind of, I don't know. It didn't really resonate with me, but the more that I've embraced it and understood it, I'm like, that's exactly what it is. We need to free the plant from prohibition. That that was a global effort all the oh, way back is. to, you it know, is. 19, gosh, 1912, you know, and, well, and you're right. It's, it's a huge issue because it yeah. can save on so many levels. I mean, they're actually eradicating isotopes out of the Chernobyl fallout with hemp plants. With, I was going to say that. It's a, it's a, it's a, you know, what we call a, a phytoremediation class plant, which means it pulls the bad things out of the soil. It pulls good things too, but it, yeah. it, you can have it to pull the bad things out of the soil and then you can properly process accordingly. So to that end, yeah. but also being a cancer survivor, which um, I went through that in 2003, I, I very much have become an advocate, not an activist, because I lead with education. I don't force a message. I, I share a message, but I got to go out to uh, Tel Aviv in Israel 
and they have the cannabis and cancer university out there in the stuff that I learned that they're studying right now, because really amazing. it is the amazing. Yeah. For scientific and medical study of yes. cannabis. Best, best. It's, place it's the, the best plant. The most, the most amazing thing too. You talked about Chernobyl because I was going to say something. There is an area in a dead zone over there where you cannot go. You're not supposed to. Mm-hmm. The Russian did, which those ding dong never came back, or some came back and died actually. And I call them ding dong because it's not the people who went in; it's the people who gave them the order to go yeah. buy the nu- nuclear um, uh, plant, which is the most ridiculous things ever to do. But there is a section and has been proven, has been observed, actually, where there is some marijuana over there. And the Mm -hmm. marijuana, that area, the radiation is very low because the marijuana plant is filtering the radiation. And I'm like, do you realize, people, if we were putting it over there, they will be so low in radiation. It's unbelievable. It helps not only the body, because somehow over the rainbow, and some people uh, told me that because I'm learning more about, I wasn't involved, um, I will say since the beginning, I've been involved into the marijuana world since the beginning of this year. I'm a non-user, never smoked, never used any drugs. I don't do drugs at all. So for me, even as a kid, never did uh, experimental drugs. I don't don't need it. I'm already hola hookah in my head, so I don't (laughs) care. I don't need this at all. But um, but it's been very fascinating because I'm looking at the holistic side of it. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing that plant is a plant. And I believe this is the plant that was, and we're not going to go religious in there, but that plant that was listed in the Bible is the one, is the marijuana, actually. This is the elixir. This is the plant that heals everything. Because yeah. you can mix up, and some people do, okay? This is what I heard, people. I'm not saying you have to do it because it's a disclaimer on this one. But some people, when they are planting it, can put their spit or some do the blood, I don't know why, but, and mix it with the seed. And somehow oh, wow. the plant will mix it and match it. So that's when when the people are using it, the plant already knows what needs to be healed. Now the, oh, the plant will not heal your heart. Okay, people, it doesn't heal organs, it's healed the body. So it does not gonna replace, if you're missing a portion of your liver, gonna make it grow, <laughs> all right? This is what I'm talking about because people are like, oh my God, it's healing him. I say, so no, you're not gonna, you're not gonna grow an extra fingers or whatever, but it has a healing property that will help your the blood, that will help um, your immune system. That's gonna do good thing like Parkinson, like cancer. Yeah. It's amazing. It's really, it's, it's an enigma. It is. I mean, they're still it's, discovering yeah. so many different elements. They're still discovering cannabinoids. Um, they're yeah. still discovering, believe it or not, additional terpenes, which we thought yes. there's a finite amount of terpenes within the plant. Uh, yes, to your yes. point, though, the, the thing that's very interesting about it is the fact that all mammals, uh, less insects, but all, mm-hmm. an, all mammals have an endocannabinoid system. Yeah. So we actually have a system that produces, produces its own, but this endocannabinoid system means, and I, I was speaking to a scientist after a, a conference one time, and I, you know, he was talking about how, you know, do you know why you can take up to 800 milligrams of ibuprofen Advil? And he said, because the fact that we don't have a system that properly digests that, that properly intakes that. So literally half of that flushes out. So really your yep. uptake is only 400 yep. milligrams. He said with cannabis, we have an endocannabinoid system. So I asked him, I said, so it's kind of like, you know, with, with Advil or ibuprofen, it's kind of like Legos and Lincoln logs and you're trying yep. to fit it together versus yep. Legos and Legos that obviously mm-hmm. fit. And he's like, that's exactly it. So to your point, it does have so many attributes in mm-hmm. you can take it down to the cannabinoid, you know, 
A lot of people know THC, the psychoactive. Yeah. That's, that's exactly. The that's what people think yeah. about. How yeah, high can I get? <laughs> yeah. But that's not the only, you know, cannabidiol, <laughs> which has gotten really popular. CBD, which helps yeah. out. Um, CBG helps anti-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. The cannabigil. Uh, another one is cannabinoid. I'm a huge fan of CBN, which helps with uh, relaxation and sleep. Mm-hmm. Again, not so much the psychoactive, but more so just calming yeah. the body. Exactly. So point, it's, it's, a, it's a whole, a very it's holistic a, and, and it's a whole, a whole body. Yes, it's a holistic approach, but what it does to the soil to filter yeah. the, the, can, the hemp, the cannabis, and it filter the yep. soil, meaning you can plant wheat, yeah. anything else after that, it's clean. It's yeah. a plant that cleans and cleans. Yeah. And a lot of and people don't do, know. It's like most places in the world, you know, again, it depends on what latitude you're at, but you can typically turn as many as four, but on average about three crops, about three per season per year. Yes. And so you look at that compared to other, um, you know, bio-based solutions, no matter if it's for textiles or if it's yeah. for, um, you know, miscellaneous consumer materials, anything that can be produced in, in a um, petroleum base, you know, plastic yeah. bags and yeah. jars and can t- all those things can, can be created out of this biomass. But the point being is, how many crops can you do with cotton? How many crops can you do with, with trees? I mean, nothing compares the amount of crop and yield. Uh, the closest thing would be bamboo that, that you can, and that's yes. the fastest growing grass in the world, but bamboo is not as diverse as. No, but bamboo as- can kill too, because bamboo can kill you. That's poison yes. too. The yeah, cannabis so save a- your life. So we don't want that. Sorry to say, people say, I'm now I'm going to go buy some bamboo. No, no you don't. No, but it can. But if be, you're looking uh, to make things that you would make exactly, you can make good things with bamboo. Actually, very yeah. good thing. But yeah. so is the hemp, so is the cannabis. So there is a lot of repurposing for it too. However, I want to make an emphasis on the growth and production of cannabis, and I learned it from a very good friend of mine, whose name is Mike Camp, and he's from um, what is it? Honeycomb Hydro is going to kill me. It's like, hey, Mike, come on, you should know it. <laughs> um, when you're producing in mass production, you need to realize cannabis is a plant that connects with human. Mm-hmm. So you need the human touch. Yes. When you do mass production, you're not going to get as good as result if you correct. are a smaller grower who spend time with their plants because mm-hmm. the love they give is amazing. And that I want to highlight this. Um, because that was brought to my attention, like every plant, if you take the time to connect with your plants, they will give you the love. They will really produce and go to the amazing harvest you can ever have. If it's mass production and there is no human touch, they will produce, but they are not going to give you what you're expecting. They're going to give you average, but not to their fullest. So I still feel that mind. being in the market I'm in where one of, not one of, once they're fully uh, built out, they will be the largest cannabis operation in the world. Right now, they're the second largest um, agricultural operation in Dutch greenhouse in the world. Uh, okay. But it's Glasshouse Farms, which is about 20, 25 minutes away from me in a town called Camarillo here in Southern California. And it is a huge operation. I could share pictures with you. It's just rows and rows and rows and yeah. rows and rows of flowers. But it's so interesting looking at that operation, then going up to visit a friend back home in Northern California that has a cottage license, which is an yeah. acre, sub-acre grow. Yeah. And the plants do look different. To your point, it's yes. the amount of attention. And so one thing I iterate to people, especially when on panels is, 
you cannot scale up this crop like you can corn no. or soybeans or no. wheat. It's not an X factor where you just can, oh, no. add another hectare, add another acre, no. grow, grow, grow. The amount of attention that this plant needs is, and, and I grow, I'm a home grower. I can legally grow in the state of California. I grow in my backyard right now. I'm yep. growing a, a land race cultivar from a geneticist yep. friend in Santa yep. Cruz. And to your point, you know, the, the interaction that I have with the plant, just to try to understand it. Anytime I get new genetics, I look at, yep. you know, what is the profile? What is yep. it going through? And it, it taught it, not Thank literally you. No, people, no, you're but, correct. But, Finish but your sentence. The plants will talk to you. Yes, it does. It lets you know Thank what you. it doesn't need. It's getting too much, too little, too this, too that, too much water, yes. too little nitrate, too yes. much this. I mean, it really, if you listen to it, and again, you can only listen to so many plants at yep. one time, then you will know what you need to do in order to optimize that yield or order to optimize that plant in its production. So I totally agree with you that if you want to get the highest quality that you can only scale so far, and, and that's where the, that's where it's going to go. It's going to go micro macro. We hate to compare this community in this industry to alcohol, but it's another space that went through prohibition in our country. So yes. there are some similarities where it gone from legal to illegal. I mean, because, you know, during colonization, everywhere the Brits landed, they, they dropped Indian hemp. I mean, Australia, New Zealand, yeah. Jamaica, and their disease the and Americas. Else. Yep. Yes. So, you we know, it, it traveled, it's been everywhere, but it was very much legal and it was a requisite. You could pay your taxes with Indian yep. hemp in, in the U.S. Yep up until prohibition began with, with Henry Anslinger mm-hmm. again in, in the early 1900s. So it's an interesting thing to see, but it's still something that, again, it, it has such attributes, but you have to see that it's going to go micro macro. There are going to be what you I have to, if any, the and people, lead, you know? the, let's put it this way. People will realize if you're a user and a consumer, she has not a user, but a consumer, you're going to realize very quickly the quality and you will realize those uh, big production will pro- provide you with some quality, but the highest and the best quality you will ever have are from the small growers, like you said. And I am so glad you said the word, the plants talk. Yes, they do. They will let you know. And they want the human connection as well. Yeah. So having everything, because I study some of those productions, because I was looking at it as well even though I'm not a user, but I'm interested about, you know, how they do the production, how, you know, if you have like an acre, 10 acres, how do you maintain it? And I saw some uh, greenhouse where it's all automated, but here's the deal. You still need the human touch. Yes. And I'm sorry, like you said, if you have 10,000 plants, well, good luck to try to reach out to them every day because you will not give them the attention and the proper attention for every single one of them. So yeah. micro, like you said, micro farming is the key to get good quality. And not only for smoking, but if you need it for extracting um, mm-hmm. the amino acid, that plant in high production will not give you the top quality of the amino acid you need. So mm-hmm. I'm not against big production. You want to, it's all about the money, good for you, but it should be about the quality yeah. and the quality of the plants because the plants will let you know. Yeah, and that's I the think. thing, you can't, to your point, you, they, they run tangent, not parallel mm-hmm. in, in their yeah. two opposite directions, quality yes. and quantity. And that's yes. again, that's your, your quality is your micro. In your quantities, Quantity is, yeah. there's a project that I, I'm looking forward to being a part of with a group here in Southern California. And that's what he's wanting to do is to expose more of Southern California, which is the largest 
consumer market in the world and also the largest legal and and yep. illicit market in the world mm-hmm. but introduce them to the outdoor grow of northern california because down here everyone loves to consume indoor which anyone yes. who's a purist like myself the first thing you ask is why why would you deprive the plant of mother nature especially when you're living in a climate where there's sun nearly every day of the year. I mean, it is ridiculous how much sunshine we have and how little rain we have in Southern California. It bothers me growing up in Northern California. At least we had three seasons <laughs> here. We have two seasons, fire and summer. It's, it's exactly. it gets old, but, but he's trying to, he's trying to bring down from our friends in Northern California to expose them to what the plant was really meant to be yes. as first experiential, you know, it was meant yes. to not only have the genotype, which is the genetics that yep. gets obviously within the seed, uh-huh. but the phenotype, which is uh-huh. that, that external exposure, it's environmental. So, you know, the, from the microclimates of Northern California, the fog coming in yep. from the Pacific ocean to the, the, the wind that comes through and, and keeps the, the plant active. It would be amazing moving. if they do it outdoors, actually, it would yes. be miracles. The plants will love it. It would be oh, like, they do. oh my God, it would and you have challenges. Oh, I have challenges. Do. I've had budworms the last few years where these yes. moths love coming around and planting their little, you know, but it's just those, those are the challenges, but the risk versus reward, the reward definitely outweighs again, by taking advantage of mother nature in, and, in and you do the have, environment it's meant to grow in. And you do have some plants who is going to ask you to be outside and they will thrive outside more than inside. That's why it's like, give them an option instead than enclosing yourself and make it like, a production like we do for animals to you know like chicken or everything else this is not what it should be high production is not going to give you high quality so that's correct again it's you know it's free market here but this is my two cents on that so now i'm going to change a little bit of a subject yeah. of topics because we no that's amazing what i love what you said it's great information for people because this is great see this is why i love to have conversation <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun it's something i love talking about so it's a perfect match. well i think you know here's the deal i'm going to invite you to come back on my podcast so we can talk more about it as well because i i have a fascination i'm learning more about the plant and what it does uh, you know for the goodness of the world of the the earth so I'm passionate about it too. So I'm going to invite you for um, for a second round of conversation. Yeah, definitely. I love that. I oh love yes. That. So now the question is: You are now the chief marketing officer at Grove Bags, and you travel around the world. So what do you do now for Grove Bags, and how did you got uh, involved with Grove Bags? So it's interesting. So uh, there was another company who is not, I don't consider so much a direct competitor, but a competitor at a certain level that I had worked with and scaled up uh, years ago, back in 2017, 2018, um, into early 2019. And that's when grow bags have first come on my radar. And I was pretty impressed with what they had to offer. Well, fast forward, and I was uh, doing a term with Green Bros to again, help them scale up. And I got approached by this company and I'm fond of the CEO because he is passionate. He's like myself. He, he comes from growing. He comes from, you know, actually hands-on with the plant. He's very passionate. He's an advocate for the plant. Uh, his uh, older brother who has cerebral palsy, he was actually producing cannabis as a medicine for his older brother. He wanted to maintain the quality and consistency. So he came up with this technology, which most people they think, oh, a bag is a bag, you know, yeah. a cup is a cup. Uh, uh, you know, and it's not so much the case. And I was so impressed because we use, unlike most bags that are mylar, we use polymer. And with polymer, there's things that you can do like 
create the perfect modified atmosphere for retaining the quality. If, if you buy, at least in the States here, if you buy lettuce or grapes, um, oftentimes they come in a, and most people, oh, that's just a bag to make it convenient. No, that's, that's controlling the environmental that that plant, yep. that plant matter is in to yep. retain that quality. Yep. So we do that too. So here he came up with this technology, maintains relative humidity, uh, blocks out UV, which is another mm-hmm. degradator of biomass, especially when it's pulled from its life force, right? Um, anti-static, so you aren't losing the trichomes, which is really where a lot of the magic exists. Because unlike other plants, even unlike fruits, tomatoes and kiwi and watermelon, they all have the goodness on the inside. They have this protective layer on the outside. Not so the case with cannabis. With cannabis, mm-hmm. all the goodness is on the outside of the plant matter. So blocking the UV, anti-static, antimicrobial, and here it keeps it the perfect relative humidity. I was just blown away. Again, as a grower and as a medicinal consumer, it made perfect sense. So when the yep. opportunity came about, I was in. I was in 100%. And so me coming on, really the intention of my role is to take the brand to the next level, not only make it a household name domestically, but globally as well. To your point, I just got back from, I call them tours. I just got back from a tour over in Europe, started out in London, uh, Cannabis Europa, which was a, excuse me, which was a phenomenal event uh, right there on the River Thames. And uh, then moved on from there to Holland for a week for meetings. And then went on to uh, Germany up to Hamburg for the first inaugural Hamcam Festival. So going out there was to educate, you know, obviously the attendees uh, to share, obviously, a bit about our product, but more so to educate on, you know, what we bring as far as maintaining that quality and consistency in the plant, you know, so. Yeah, it's, it's been because good. I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, you buy, you buy your product or you get some product ship or whatever, you know, they get the product on their hands, but they're assuming, OK, I can just leave it on the corner and they're just fine. Or I put it on a Tupperware and I will work. Nope. There is a quality, <laughs> you know, you need to maintain your the quality. And unless you know about it, it makes it very difficult because you're going to um, start to lose the quality and you're going to say after, oh yeah, I got one and now I'm trying it again. It's not as good as did she hear about it and why they gave me something wrong. No, it's the fact that how do you keep it uh, safely somewhere that will keep fresh? That's the freshness. It's like, like you said, it's like vegetables. It's like a fruit. When they travel, the freshness, the base, there's a reason they get the base, like you said, and they keep it fresh. That's the same thing yeah. here. And I don't think a lot of people realize that as well. You need something to, to keep it. I'm, I'm assuming before it was probably the uh, jars. I'm assuming glass yeah, jars was, or some the yeah. mason jars or something. Mason like jars that. are really popular old school. Um, a lot. Ziploc bags, which were not intended for cannabis. They were intended for sandwiches and chips. Yeah, but, but. I think you're, you're probably losing the quality with a, zip of, a Ziploc bag. And I'm assuming right. for the mason jar, because you're opening and closing it, air coming in and out yeah. must affect the quality of the product. Correct. And mason jars are very porous. That's one thing I've learned as a grower because traditionally I've and stored my flour in glass jars. And you know, that is wicking some of that quality out of the cannabis, because even when I wash them, I can still smell the cannabis, you know, from the resin, the oils from the trichomes in the glass. So that's again, such a huge difference. And like you said, anything that is a, is a biomass, once it's taken from its life force, there's three big enemies that exist that are going to constantly degrade the quality of that biomass. In its exposure to light, its exposure to oxygen, 
and it's the proper level of moisture to maintain the quality of that biomass. So we see it all the time. You leave bananas out in, in leave them exposed, they oxidize. You know, that's that's the oxygen, that's the exposure to the environment, the fact that it's been taken down again from the plant. So it is one of those things where it makes a huge impact on quality. And it's not that there aren't things that come out of leaving a, you could leave a bud out on your windowsill. Um, you know, what would happen would be your THC would convert to something I call a hero. I, I think it's a hero cannabinoid, but it's also a ghost cannabinoid. THC over time, as it oxidizes, it converts into CBN. What I was telling you about cannabinoid, which THC, if you want the psychoactive, that's great. CBN is more so better for sleep and relaxation. So it's not that, you know, <clears throat> you can't still enjoy the plant uh, or the, or the bud or the flower, if you let it sit out, but that level of quality, because the, the thing that does start losing as far as potency is in the trichomes and trichomes are highly, as far as the terpenes are in the trichomes, uh -huh. they're highly volatile. So it's something that, so when you open a jar and you smell it, that that's the terpenes that are escaping from the trichomes because it's, it becomes gaseous. So again, keeping it in a contained space, keeping that quality at the right level, not exposed to light, not exposed to static, not exposed to microbial growth. That's the best way to retain the quality of that, especially when it's medicine. Again, to your point, nothing against recreational adult use. I, for well, even if you're anything's better than alcohol. But. Yeah, but here's the deal. Even if you're talking <laughs> recreational things too, the quality will disappear because it's the same thing for the recreational. It's like, oh, well, yeah. the quality will start to fade if you don't put it somewhere else, like you said, those bags. So uh, what this is what growth bags does actually, because yep. they came up with something that helps to keep your uh, the product basically safe and the quality yep. to still continue to be high and not like lose it after two or three times you're opening it. So yeah. and we're nice. doing a long-term test on that right now. What, what happens awesome. over six months, right? Yes. What happens as far as the terpene potency yep. and the cannabinoid yep. potency. And a lot of people, I, I'm my, my high school, Cal high Northern California, we're the first one to institute a recycling program in California nice. as a kid. Yeah. So I definitely get some people bring up, well, Glass is recyclable versus plastic. Well, if you're thinking of a Ziploc bag versus a jar, yeah. but again, this bag and this technology it is reusable. This is not yes. a disposable solution. And the fact that the carbon footprint for manufacturing these polymer plastic bags versus glass is actually far lower. We just uh, posted something up on our LinkedIn uh, page of Grow Bags, and we're talking about what the carbon footprint was between these two solutions. And obviously, you know, if you're using it over and over again, which you can, I mean, I know people, you know, two years, three years that they're using this because it's the proper design of the zip that allows you to open and close as far as, you know, the top and it doesn't degrade. So, you know, that that's going to retain its quality as far as doing its job. Mm -hmm. It really is a great solution and it is an investment, not an expense, because again, like you said, you're retaining the potency and the quality the way it was intended. Exactly. Yeah. You know, yes, so. because you want the quality. You don't want something you open twice and then it's starting. You you're starting to to feel the difference because most people will say, "Well, this sold me something that is wrong." Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. it did not. However, it's how you kept way, it exactly yeah. vinegar piquet. We call yeah. it in French piquet for people who don't know. <laughs> you can call somebody piquet. That's called vinegar. That's mean yeah. we you reuse for vinegar. You use a big jar, yeah. put all of them in there, and it turns to vinegar. 
Yeah. But that's not what that's not what you want for your produce or for cannabis. It's like you want to keep it as fresh as possible so you get the quality. And if it's for medicinal or recreational, it doesn't matter. It's just a matter to keep the product fresh. Exactly. Well, that was a great idea, actually, they did. So since when have they been in business? So the technology came about as far as his development um, a little over five, almost six years ago, but the company officially launched four years ago. So we're still very much in a startup. Uh, okay, phase. so... What did why made them stop to do this? Because did they come across people complaining about the quality or what no, made it really, them stop it, to do this? It goes back to Jack, to the CEO, it goes back to him and trying, you know, he was growing, but he wanted to, because you can only grow so many plants a year as a, as yep. a personal, you yep. know, uh, grower. He wanted to be able to store that flower long-term as a medicine for his brother. So that's really, and he just, he couldn't find anything. He found yep. things that were able to help retain humidity or that were helped to mitigate oxygen exposure, or that were able to help uh, mitigate light. But there wasn't one solution that did everything. It was literally, they yeah. were all Band-Aids, but none of them were a holistic solution exactly. to maintaining this quality. So he really, he saw a void. And this is where most, uh, he's a phenomenal entrepreneur. This is where most entrepreneurs are so successful. They yeah. see a void and they find mm -hmm. a solution. Like exactly. that is ultimately what it was. So, and he, it, awesome. he's very fortunate. He had a background, his family, like my family in automotive, his family had a background in packaging. So That's he did good. have a leg up on understanding what could works. be done from yep. a technology standpoint. Yeah. Absolutely. So. That, that is phenomenal. That's mm -hmm. awesome. So what have you, because you started there, so now you're traveling. So what have you, uh, have you, what are the biggest challenges you had so far? Because you come on board, you're here to help them. What have been your biggest, Changes because it's interesting for CMO to be traveling around the world. I find it quite in puzzling and interesting that you are the one traveling and not in the back, like storming, figuring out things, and you're on the road. And I'm like, that's interesting. I want to yeah. talk to Lance because I want to know, okay, how did you get that gig to travel and be the speaker? <laughs> and how can you manage all of, you know, the marketing and everything else where you're, you know, in a, let's say in Europe and doing some speaking engagement and got to flew somewhere else, maybe let's say Japan the next day and like, okay, how, what are the biggest challenges for you? Because you, you're in a very interesting position. Not everybody do what you do, meaning a traveling and speaking and stuff like that. Generally, it's people who use their brain and stay in the back and just, yeah. okay, let's focus on it's this and that. So how did it happen? It's a bit of a challenge. It's something that, again, you know, with the positions I've been in in the past, specifically to, to this industry, uh, where, mm -hmm. you know, while my strength, my, my background in my 20s was sales, and then my background in my yeah. 30s, I say, went into operations, and then, uh, you know, transitioned more so into marketing in recent years. And while my focus at the core is marketing, something that really overlaps with that is business development. So that's yeah. where the, the travel and the speaking opportunities and one thing that I really want to do for this company is I have, I'm very fortunate, very appreciative. I have an international network that I'm able to plug these companies into and introduce these products to so they can have their local facilities, their local growers, um, you know, test out the technology and then maybe even help us with the distribution or with the resale of, of the actual, you know, products that we have that available to yep. the audiences. So to your point, it is kind of tough because it's two jobs. And I explain this to people. My job on the road is separate from my job in the office. It's yes. very to your point. There's a lot of, as, as a CMO, you're doing a lot at the vision level with the CEO, yes. which we work phenomenal together. 
But then I have to take that vision down to the strategy level, you know, meet with my team and say, okay, let's apply a strategy to this vision. And then you all execute. So we're going through an exercise right now, what I call an evergreen exercise, but it's really, it's a brand building exercise where we just spent four hours yesterday. We're going to spend another two hours tomorrow that we're going through and we're chewing up everything across the board. You know, let's make sure our catchphrase is on point. Let's make sure our branding's on point. Let's make sure our messaging, everything that's associated with marketing, that everything's on point because we do need to make sure that as a diver, this is something that you're taught when you go through uh, patty training, you know, you plan to dive, you dive to plan. So if you have that plan in place, that's what's nice. That's what allows me to trust my right hand, my marketing director and say, okay, you've got the plan. So we've discussed strategy. You work on execution. I'm going to run over to Europe for two weeks. I'll be back. I'm going to run to to South America for a week. I'll be back. I'm still able to bounce a job back home, but I've given those those, uh, orders, if you will, you know, those instructions to the the folks that that help support. And we're all a team. I mean, I'm I'm not above it. I roll up my sleeves as much as the next. So if it's working a booth, if it's a speaking opportunity, you know, I very much enjoy being on the front line as much as I do being in the in the think tank, you know, with uh, with the visionaries and talking about our strategy. So it's, exactly. uh, it's a lot. That, that, that's why. Well, that's why I was looking at it. I'm like, that's puzzling. You got two jobs, uh, especially yeah. when you do business development. is It's a full time job to be able to connect with everybody. Even if you have a big, like you said, you got a network, even though you still have to connect with people, you have to be there. You have to be face to face. So it, it takes a lot of time. Um, and, uh, the other part of it, it's like you said, you have to, well, you have your right hands doing, you know, all of the work, but still you have to, you're at the head of it. So you have to be brainstorming, figure it out what the branding, how we're going to do this, how we're going to expand this, how can we put our more footprint into this world, exactly. uh, and being known, uh, especially for the product side of it. So that's very interesting. So now question for you, when are you seeing your family? <laughs> for the holidays it's like you're in yeah. jail and they, they have a pass when you come yeah, back that's, that's, i have that's to ask been, because i'm like <laughs> yeah that's been really tough you know i was I traveling know. about 70 percent of the time pre-pandemic i i remember yeah. in 2019 i did about i did about 120,000 miles in the air so i, I did yeah. a lot of travel and at one point i did um my gosh what was it i was averaging four shows a month at one point in my career, it was really just getting four or five mm-hmm. shows a month. It was ridiculous. Uh, the pandemic really grounded me. You know, it got me back uh, closer yeah. to the plant, you know, gave me time to start growing again because I like getting my hands dirty. Um, yeah. But it has been tough. So I, I have a very understanding family that knows that this is something that won't be forever. It's just something that's really, no. especially in the early stages of leveling up a company. I just, Especially, yeah. You know, that's when you have yeah. to put it all out there um, mm-hmm. and it'll settle down. And I do hope for my travel to get more so maybe 25% on the road and 75%. You know, fortunately I do work from home. I work, you know, remote when I am, Good. you know, off the road. So yeah. I am here with the family and, and able to enjoy that. But I have a very understanding. You have to have a very understanding family. Oh, you have to be. <laughs> yes, exactly. I have to be used to it. And it's not easy. But here's the deal. You got a lot of miles. So that's yeah. mean then this should be good vacation going somewhere with your yes. entire family for free. Yeah. Yes, we're going on flight. holiday. So you uh, can go to Australia, yep. New Zealand, <laughs> whatever you want. You take everybody, including the cousin, the neighbor. Everybody yeah. come on board. Yeah, the, the free hotel nights don't hurt. And to your point, exactly. the miles. Exactly. That make hurt. it better yeah. sweet. It's like, yeah. okay, well, we can go to a free trip. But it takes time. It takes a lot of time and dedication. Yeah. So that's unbelievable. No. Yeah. So... 
Amy, so you're working with those guys. So what is the next trip you're gonna do for uh, for Groove Bag? What is your My next gosh. destination? It's a little bit closer to home. I uh, When I get back, like I said, I'm doing a quick holiday with the family next week. Uh, good. You know, cruise up to Alaska, which will be good. Nice. But uh, even then, I'll be stopping by dispensaries. I know a few <laughs> business owners up there. I know. So our it's trips like, okay, always happen to go. Honey, where, you know. everybody, just go to the restaurant. <laughs> I will meet you in 10 minutes. I have three stops to do. You don't need nope. me. Just You go. joke, but that's pretty much how it is. I go, okay, to go order. back to the ship for lunch, and I stay <laughs> on, and I talk to industry people. I love it, though, because I'm passionate about what I do, and, and they yes. appreciate my passion. But my, my next few trips are closer to home. I have one an event down in LA in, yep. in the heart of downtown. And then yep. after that, a few days later, I fly up to Spokane, Washington, which is the east side of Washington state up in the Pacific yep. Northwest. So that'll be good. My next international, um, gosh, I, I, I think I'm off the international tour until uh, Jamaica in September. I, nice. I believe. Well, that's so, going to be nice weather too over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it should be. Yes. That's a really good one. That's a, that, that brings a lot of people from the international as well as the Bahamas. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, and so I think that in the Caribbean has a lot going on down there. They're, they're definitely, uh, you know, Jamaica has a history with the plant as does California and, uh, you know, Spain and other parts of, of the world. Uh, so I do look forward to that. Definitely do. Well, fabulous. So I'm going to invite you for a second episode because you know what, that was such a great conversation. I want to know more about the growing world and what you're oh, yes. seeing. Love talking about that. (laughs) Well, you know, there is an education that needs to be done. And I made my mission earlier this year when I discovered more about the holistic side of the plants that to me, we need to expose more. So it's not about how to get high. It's what the benefits are for people to be educated properly. Like you said, as a quick, just a quick note on that. We did a survey. I think it was when I was at Weed Maps, 67% of people that purchase cannabis doesn't matter if if they're medical patients or if they're recreational or adult use buy it to help with sleep that's a perfect example so just something i'll leave you with that little fun fact that essentially two-thirds of every consumer says i consume because it helps me sleep and i thought that was so interesting that even those are like oh i just do it for fun you're you're still taking advantage of the medicinal attributes of this plant and that says a lot we (laughs) got i know it's Ever since the pandemic, they fly, or maybe it's because I'm getting older. One of the oh, two. Oh no, that's not you're getting older. It's because we're getting confused. That's different. <laughs> <laughs> that's not edge at this point. Is we're getting confused. So no, but I really want to invite you in August so we can continue the conversation about the cannabis itself and the knowledge you've got. Because the more we can talk about it and educate people, then yeah. the the better it is, and that's the reason. I, when I discovered this with Mike, um, with um, Honeycomb Hydro, uh, he connected with me and I talked to him. I'm like, oh, cannabis, uh, okay, getting high. And I learned more with him in less than several months than I learned in five decades. Yeah, a whole about lot it. It's yeah. like, holy yeah. moly. And a lot of people don't have the knowledge. And I've been more immersed into the cannabis world. You would have said that six months ago, but nothing is like <laughs> Am well, I doing cannabis? Forget yeah. it. <laughs> so you're located where you're located in, uh, in Minneapolis and in Minnesota. Oh, okay. Okay. Where they just passed the law, which is laughable yeah. for cannabinoid. Yeah. But they had the legislation was, I will say, they're not, uh, somebody set them up because really? they complained. They passed the law they did not want it to pass because they did not understand the verbiage. Oh, gotcha. 
It's hilarious. It's Somebody... so frustrating because that market, they, they, that's where they only allow concentrate, right? They only allow oil. They, it's a flower. They only, yeah, well, it wasn't yeah. only oil, but it was only pres- medical prescription. And you mm-hmm. could not do anything else at that. You could not consume it for your own self. And they had some dispensaries. It was even stricter. It was even more strict than Florida. Basically, it was yeah. like it would have been nearly impossible for anyone to use it. Yeah. But somebody tricked them because when they went for the law, they did not understood that was for recreational and for people to use it. And they passed it. And then said, and keep their mouth shut. This is funny. And I'm going to keep what I'm saying right now. Okay. I mean, I already said it once. And said, and keep it quiet. Said, okay, well, you know, we passed that shame on us. They went and complained about it. <laughs> and I'm like, you elected those people. They were unable and incapable to read the legislation, which is scary. Then they complained about it. Don't re-elect those people because obviously yeah. they don't know what they're doing. And to be honest with you, be the only state are one of the few states left to do not even use it for recreational? Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. So to me, it's like people are using it, then it's a law, lawful or not. Stop the mockery, give the possibilities for the um, dispensary to expand what they need. And I talked to one where I'm, at, where I'm staying right now, I'm staying at a cabin uh, and there is a CBD um, store Oh, yeah, where, there's several out there, right? I've well, seen. there is some, but where I'm at, there is one in the town where I'm at. And um, I asked them when the law passed, I went and talked to them directly. I said, so what kind of extra product are you going to bring? Are you going to bring those gummy bears and stuff like that? They said, yes. However, they're all coming from Colorado. Really? The re- yes. The reason they are doing this is because after they passed the law, now here's the gray area on how to implement the law. And you're going to need to have, because everything is tested over there. Here, nothing is tested. It's still the wild, wild west. They have not put any test in place or anything for people to, when they do their product, they don't know where the products are coming from too. So this is where they're a little wary as well. I don't know how many growers there are here because I remember when they passed the law several years ago, there was only one grower. I remember then you had, it was $25,000 or $50,000 for submitting your application. Nothing was refundable. And there was only one person who won it. Uh, and they set it up. That was the first cannabis actually production for medical world. Oh, wow. So that was very interesting. Now, I don't know what they're doing. I have to look at closely at, at uh, who's what and how to do it. Yeah. But the legislation passed and now people can have it, their arms recreational. Now it's how do they get the supply? That CBD is not going to sell the marijuana, just the gummy and the chocolate. I'm like, oh, chocolate. I like chocolate. I said, yeah. I don't want yeah. to get high. So I'm not going to eat it. Sorry. That's not my interest. I would rather uh, eat the amino acid than yeah. uh, eating it or smoke it because it's more for the holistic side of it. But they are bringing it to from Colorado. Right now, they're not touching it from here because... Even though it's passed as a legislation, they, they can just have, don't have it. The testing to do the COA. On it. They yeah. have not established the testing. They have not established it. They don't even know what they're supposed to do here. So they're still bringing everything to, from Colorado, which is good. I'm like, why not? But that's too bad because for the growers, it's going to paralyze them until they decide to do something. And my only concern, because they passed the law unwillingly, they're going to go after the. Um, those people and just say, well, 
you know, make them harder for them to be able to sell their products. So we'll see yeah. how the legislation is going to go. Wow. Well, be interesting to see. Yeah, we'll have to follow up in August. I'm curious. Oh, we're going to follow up in August, definitely. Do you want to share uh, last thoughts on our conversation? Or yeah, no, I just, I, I definitely appreciate the time. It's been a great conversation. And, you know, it's fun going back because to, to talk about this, uh, you know, it's been essentially a, over a 20 year journey, 25 year journey of where I've gotten to. And it's the happiest and, and the most successful I've been in my career has been in the cannabis space. And I think that says a lot coming from digital media.com, automotive, other very passionate spaces that, that I've been in. But this has definitely been the best. And I would say for those that are interested, because people always reach out to me, especially on LinkedIn, and say, you know, I'm very passionate about the plant or I support the plant or I support the movement. Um, you know, but but I work at FedEx, I do logistics, or I work in security and I do camera. Mm -hmm. I share with them, we need more people in this industry than most others because we need not only logistics and marketing and sales experts and operations and, and security and, and lab technicians, but we do need doctors and scientists. And yeah. I mean, it, the list goes on. I mean, I've never been in an industry where it's such a wide gamut of expertise that is needed. And you don't have to be a cannabis expert. If you're a logistics expert, you can be successful in cannabis. If you're an HR expert, you can be successful in cannabis. And it's one of the fastest growing rover, I think 350,000 employees in the U.S. alone mm -hmm. in this space. And keep you know, on growing and that, keep on growing everywhere, which is nice. It's And the legislation helps. There is a lot of things oh, happening yeah. in different states that really open it up and give possibility for the small grower to have a voice because, you know, having uh, 10,000 acres or whatever of production, okay, good, fantastic. But the small grower should have a chance to sell their product as well. Exactly. So that to me is like free enterprise that should be done for everybody. So yes, we need to, we need to, that's the, the one demise of the US, I hate to say, but the extreme capitalism is to your point. I mean, a lot of people are frustrated because they feel the government is sandbagging so that the current state will fail and, and the big corporate can come in and swoop like they do yep. in their category, right? And big pharma, big alcohol, big tobacco, yep. big, 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 you know? And it's an unfortunate, like I said, it's an unfortunate attribute that this country has compared to others that just don't put their, essentially their residents and their voters ahead of the, the corporate you know, world, if, so. and it feels like they don't want people to be entrepreneurs. They don't want the entrepreneurship. And I'm like, it should be entrepreneurship. Right now, I feel we are being restricted, and I don't. We like, are. I don't, yeah. I don't do politics, but I don't like it because we should. We are creators. We are entrepreneurs for uh, you know our, our own heart. And I don't <laughs> see why a government should try to give us a hard time when we're building our own businesses. This is what it's supposed to be. That's the original American dream. That's why exactly. so many people moved here from all around the world. Exactly. <laughs> so. Totally agree with you. That's why. And I don't like what we're living right now because I feel like we're being set up for failure. And I'm like, no, yeah. failure is not an option. And we're not going to fail because this is who we are. It's so true. for me, I want the, the, the smaller growers or entrepreneurs to have a voice and being able to, that's why I'm using my podcast in that series, Business yeah. Breakthrough. To be able to have a voice, share their story, and inspire others. Exactly. 
That's what it's all about. So, but no, we're gonna have you next month. I'm excited now for next month. Like <laughs> next month, and like yeah. But I'm super excited for that because it's gonna be great conversation, and I can't wait for it. So thank you so much, Lance. Uh, thank you. And, I appreciate it. Thanks, Emma. Yes, you're welcome. Universe Podcast.